Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. And as I do every time, I want to thank all of my listeners who join us from around the world. And joining me again uh, from New York is Dory Clark. And Dory uh, was interviewed with me back in October of last year about her book called Reinventing You. And she has another book out now um, called Stand Out, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. Good day to you, Dory. How are you? Hey, Greg. I'm great. Thanks. Great to speak with you. Well, it's great to have you on. And you were very popular last time. And, and I know that this topic is something that anybody out there, and which is most people, I think, that are in the workaday world, are really looking to capture their essence. In other words, who they are and how can they express themselves. And you are the quote-unquote guide for that. Um, there's a lot of people out there kind of trying to help in this arena, and I really think this is an important thing. And I'm going to let my listeners know just a tad bit about you. Dory is a marketing and strategy consultant and frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review, Entrepreneur, and Forbes. Um, she consults and speaks to a diverse range of clients, including Google, the World Bank, Microsoft, Morgan Stanley. She is also an adjunct professor of business administration at Duke University's School of Business. Her first book was Reinventing You. Um, you can access more than 400 free articles on her website at www.doriclark.com. And you can follow her as well as on Twitter at Dory Clark. Well, Dory, again, another great book and an opportunity for people not only to learn, but to reflect and engage and understand. And you mentioned that to make a name for yourself, that you need to create a difference in the world, that you have to share your unique perspective and inspire others to take some action around it. What, how would you guide our audience to do that? And what do you really mean by that? Well, Greg, I think these days we have probably all found that it's getting harder to really be able to to stand out and get noticed. I mean, everybody's on social media, everybody's screaming to be heard. And the problem with that is, you know, I mean, on one hand, it's great because everybody has a voice. Everybody can get their message out there. But the challenge isn't about getting your message out there. It's about getting your message heard so that you can actually have a real impact. And I think for, for a lot of your listeners, they want to be able to do positive things for the world. And the, the real question is um, being able to build that kind of following so that, uh, so that you, you have the power to impact others. Um, I, I think a lot of it is about fulfilling our own potential and our sense of, of what we can and should be doing for the world. Go ahead. Yeah, hey, I'm still here. Okay. Did did we mess up? Go ahead. <laughs> Were you yeah, done? Yeah, thank you. No. Yeah, I was done. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, I'll cut this part out. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, sorry. <laughs> oh, not a problem. I it just kind of ended a little abruptly, but so Dory, you kind of state in your chapter on the big idea that the big ideas aren't hatched by a rare breed of intellects living in isolation, which a lot of times people think they have to do. You said instead they come from regular people, like probably most of the people listening to this podcast, who are willing to ask the right questions and stay open to new ways of looking at the world. What questions should our audience be asking, and how would you propose 
they look at this world differently. Well, Greg, I think some of the questions that people can begin to ask themselves would be things like, what what is it about me that is different than most other people in my field? Um, this is an area that I actually I talk about a bit in my first book, Reinventing You, and I go into more depth in, in the new book, Stand Out. Um, and, and that's that far too often we accept other people's frame for how we should be looking at things. And if you have changed careers or maybe you have you know less experience than some other people in a given discipline, uh, there's a tendency to accept the view that, oh, well, they must know so much more than me. How can I possibly compete or what do I have to offer? But the truth is you actually have a lot to offer and it's, it's probably something quite valuable because you you haven't been wasting time, you know, not doing a certain thing. You've been doing something else. And that type of cross-disciplinary perspective uh, sometimes is exactly what you need to innovate and to shake up a field. Uh, in the book, I actually profile a, uh, a biology researcher named Eric Schott. And Eric is considered one of the top scientists in the world today. And part of what makes him so unique, uh, he's actually published more than 200 peer-reviewed articles on everything from uh, Alzheimer's to diabetes, uh, is that his original training was not in biology. Mm -hmm. It was in math and computer science. And because of that, he had this uh, this early view that big data could be helpful in biology. And at the time, hardly anyone shared that, but he dove into it, and it helped him make these tremendous breakthroughs. So similarly, if you ask yourself, what is different about my training, my perspective, my background, uh, it can lead you to see the world in a different way than other people. Yeah, and you speak about him on your TED Talk at your website, and I encourage my listeners to actually go take a listen to that TED Talk. Um, It's great. It's at Dory's website, and she talks at length um, about this gentleman. Now, one of the things that I thought, um, it didn't seem contrary, obviously, to me, but it might to some. You mentioned that building a base of knowledge in a narrow subject area may seem like a career-limiting move. And I remember speaking some time ago with Cal Newport about his book, um, So Good That They Can't Resist You, I think was the name of it. And the reality is it's kind of the same thing. Get really good at something um, is the only way to get past the competition. What advice would you have for people who are you know, more generalist versus people who are really focusing in a specific area and getting well-known in that area? Yeah, absolutely. And this is certainly something that that I struggle with myself because I, I'm uh, I have a lot of interests. Uh, I'm sort of a generalist rather than uh, a, a narrow niche player. Um, but a couple of thoughts. The first one I'll actually just mention quickly for people uh, who are listening who are interested in trying to figure out how how to come up with their own breakthrough idea and build a following around it. I actually, uh, and specifically the questions to ask themselves. I actually created a free giveaway on my website um, where uh, it's, it's at the end of each section in the book. I have a list of questions, and I've compiled them all into one document. It's a free 42-page workbook that I created um, that folks can get for free on my website, doryclark.com. Uh, so those, those are some prompts that hopefully might be helpful to people. Um, but on the question of niche versus generalist, um, having a niche strategy is a, is a very good way to brand yourself as a recognized expert, um, but it, it's also not the only way. 
um, you know, in, in the book, I talk about it as part of your arsenal. So for people who are drawn to it, um, you know, it is a good strategy. You, um, you get known for one thing, and then that allows you to build media relationships, to build credibility, and then you can slowly and incrementally expand. Uh, but if it doesn't feel natural or comfortable to you, there's, there's other strategies you can try as well. One of my favorite is uh, what I call doing independent research. And that might sound intimidating, but really it's as simple as finding a way that you feel comfortable with to bring new factual information to the debate in your field. So if you uh, make like a journalist and interview a bunch of clients or thought leaders, if you write a case study or a white paper, or if you do a survey, even if you uh, do a bunch of product reviews in a certain category and make yourself an expert because you're really familiar with all the different um, you know, types of whatever it is, hotels or burger joints or whatever, um, that can enable you to build a reputation as an expert because people see that content and they say, wow, she really knows her stuff. Mm-hmm. I'd agree. I mean, this podcast is a perfect example of how I started, but not with that intention. Um, and now I get flooded with people saying, hey, we want you to you know, interview us on our book. And I've kind of become known in these various genres. Um, now, you mentioned that research just a second ago can set us apart from others and it can tell a great story, or you tell a great story in the book about Michael Waxenberg. Um, can you tell the story and what happened to Michael as an example of someone who used this research to really shift his career it was a great story. Yeah, thank you so much. So there, there is someone that I profile in uh, in Standout uh, named Michael Waxenberg. He was and in fact is an IT manager for a financial services firm. But uh, a number of years ago, he and his family uh, were faced with the question of whether or not to buy their apartment, which was uh, being turned into a condo, and they they needed to figure out if they should do that or not. So Michael got into the process. He started going to a bunch of real estate open houses and trying to familiarize himself with the market. Um, But, you know, he's a very very data-driven guy as uh, as an IT guy. And so he decided that he would try to make it into a real legitimate project, that he wanted to uh, not just be scattershot, but to, to really know the market well. So he started going on a website called StreetEasy.com and writing very, very detailed reviews of the properties that he was visiting so he could compare them accurately. And then he actually started a, a discussion strand on the site um, where people were reporting in actual sales numbers and valuations and things like that. And as a result of that, people would would read the reviews that he had come up with, which were you know far deeper and, and more thorough than almost anything else on the site. And so he got this stream of people saying, "Michael, this is fantastic. I would like you to represent me. Will you be my realtor?" But the only problem was he wasn't a realtor at that point. He was just uh, an amateur who was very knowledgeable. And so many people started approaching him. He actually went ahead, uh, a, a realtor, in fact, uh, wrote to him and said, look, if you don't have your license yet, I will sponsor you to do this. Mm-hmm. And so he got his real estate license. And to this day, he now has a very lucrative side career doing uh, real estate. And he doesn't have to market it at all. Literally, all his customers come to him because of inbound marketing from uh, his posts on the site and their second-generation referrals. So it was, it's a really good example of how doing research, you know, one variety or another, and staking a claim, you know, really getting getting recognized in a certain area can 
have tremendous ramifications for your career. Amazing story, actually. I mean, you know, it's more stories like that. And obviously, you've interviewed a lot of people, thought leaders for your book here. Um, but that particular story kind of really stuck with me as a as a way to kind of explain how you can end up doing something you love from just the research you were doing. And, and it's it's great to see that happen. Now, you talk about combining ideas from seemingly disparate and unrelated elements, you state, can create breakthrough ideas. Um, and you give some examples or stories from the book that really exemplify this. What are a couple of examples of of stories. Um, I love the stories in the book, so I'm trying to get you to tell as many of those stories as possible. But it is it is a way for, you know, I don't think a lot of people think about that. They think that it has to be a little more linear. But most of the time, these great ideas don't come in a linear way, right? Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. And uh, and I'm glad to share some stories from the book. And I'm sorry, which which genre of story were you uh, were you looking for? Well, just a, a story one? in particular about how somebody took an unrelated element or seemingly uh, different concept and put the two together sure. and came mm-hmm. up with something that was, you know, was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, one one that, that really uh, stands out for me is a guy named Eric Reese, who some of your listeners may be familiar with. Yeah, I know with. Eric real well. I just put money on his uh, his crowdfunding source for his leadership book. So there we yes, go. He there just go. he's he's at about a half a million almost. He's trying to reach a half million on crowdfunding. Yeah, that that is somebody uh, who has built a real following for himself. Clearly, if you can get half a million dollars on crowdfunding, your base is pretty good. Yeah. And part of how he's been able to do that is he took um, you know his field, tech entrepreneurship, and he mashed it up with something that, on the surface, you might look at it and say that is about as far as possible from tech entrepreneurship as you can get, um, which is old line automotive industrial manufacturing processes. He took uh, the lean methodology, which is pioneered by Toyota. Yeah. And he, you know, literally it's about how do you make factory floor processes better? And he melded that, he married that to tech entrepreneurship and said, what if we turned it into the lean startup? How would these concepts apply? And by bringing them together, he, he created this interesting new hybrid that really proved valuable for people in terms of thinking about how they should think about, how they should conceptualize their entrepreneurial ventures. And so to to date, it's actually amazing growth. There are more than 750,000 people around the world who participate in lean startup meetup groups. Mm -hmm. These are people who are not just, you know, fans of the idea. They're passionate enough, nearly a million people, passionate enough to literally go to meetings in their town to talk about it. This is happening in 84 different countries. So this idea um, mixture has really had profound ramifications. Uh, And it's a great example. I I don't think you could have used a better one than Eric, uh, really, because, you know, I'm following him now and I'm involved in helping him. You know, actually, I was a funder of this particular book. So one of the things he's doing is, and the other thing he's done quite intelligently is add other elements to that as the crowdfunding went forward, which I just thought was is is brilliant. Now, one of the guys that's brilliant and is a really good friend of mine, and you interviewed him for the book, is David Allen. David's been running around the country for years talking about 
getting things done, getting things done. Um, why do you believe that just in David's case, the concept of getting things done got so big and became so successful um, with his process? What, what, what was it that you learned from David that maybe I don't know? Yeah, Greg. Well, one of, one of the um, the things that I thought was most interesting in talking with David was, and ultimately, um, you know, what I did for the book, I interviewed, as you alluded to, more than 50 thought leaders mm-hmm. in a variety of different fields and tried to, to really look at their commonalities, to look at um, how it was that they were able to break through and get noticed and have have their ideas spread. And so for David Allen, he actually, I think, is a perfect exemplar of one of the key strategies that, uh, that we found, and that is what I call codifying a system. And so basically what this means, we might all imagine that in the fields that we operate in, um, you know, pretty much everything's been said, right? The fundamental structure of this field has probably been articulated. Um, but you look at something like influence and persuasion, which literally, I mean, people have been fascinated by that for millennia. This is not a new thing that people are looking at it, but it took until Robert Cialdini, an Arizona State University professor, it took until him, this was only 20 or 30 years ago, to uh, to actually look at it in a systematic way and say, you know, there's only six ways that people are influenced, period. And he was able to articulate that and to break it down And people looked at it and said, oh, my gosh, he's right. And that framework has proven so helpful to people that literally any time influence and persuasion is now talked about, Cialdini has talked about along with it. And for David Allen, it's very similar. Productivity, how do you be more efficient? How do you use your time well? This is something that everybody is interested in. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until David Allen and his Getting Things Done system that we had a really complete and holistic view of how, you know, not just, oh, okay, well, you know, do, make a to-do list, but, you know, a real structure by which you could understand how to process the things that were, that were coming at you and how to think about them. And so I think that the, the methodology, the fact that he put a structure around productivity, uh, is really what has enabled his message to resonate with so many people. Yeah, and again, like uh, Eric, uh, David is, uh, when you look at how he's branded himself and how he markets himself and puts himself out there in the seminars and how he's built the business and is now in Europe and doing the things he's doing, very smart business person on top of it. I think it's a little bit of that and it's a lot of the other. Now, you're you're a big advocate of building a trusted network of support. Um, why are our networks that we build so important to our success? And more importantly, how would you recommend that we grow them? Well, I think that your network is really critical to your success because it's it's almost, uh, you could say, the, the first line of defense. And what I mean by that is that if you are looking to spread an idea, you need a couple things. One is you need uh, an initial group of people who are able to encourage you and support you and you know pr- provide resources or help or introductions or whatever to help you launch it so that it's in the, as good of a position as it can possibly be when you present it to the larger world. Um, kind of get the snowball moving. Um, 
the other thing that you really need is you need a trusted group of colleagues who can save you from bad ideas because not not every idea you have is going to be amazing. And you need to have people who you understand are loyal to you and have your back and have good judgment. And those are the people who are able to say to you, geez, Dory, I'm not sure this is the one you should put your energy behind or, Dory, this is a great idea, but you know, maybe if you just make this and this change, it would be even better. Mm-hmm. And having those two things, those two elements um, that you can only get by having a trusted network, that can be enormously valuable. Yeah. And one of the people that really revved that up um, in his book was Malcolm Gladwell about mavens and connectors. And you speak about connecting. What are some of the ways that our audience can build this community again and become great connectors? And and again, why is becoming a connector just so imperative to this overall success uh, as we create breakthrough ideas? Because, you know, Gladwell did a great job of explaining it, but I don't think he always told us really what, you know, what was the outcome of it. Yeah, absolutely. So part of part of what um, makes connecting so useful and valuable is, of course, for for the vast majority of us. I mean, you know, maybe unless you're a Silicon Valley billionaire, and maybe not even then, uh, you you probably at this moment do not know all the people that you need to know in order for your ideas to be successful. We all need to grow our networks. I mean, we start at the place we're at with you know with our existing networks and our existing support. But you've got to bring new people in, and if you're if you're going to do that, um, you know there's I, I suggest first of all different ways to uh, th- that you can do that and add value from the beginning, uh, and I think this is something that you do really well, Greg. Um, I, I profile a guy in the book named John Corcoran who was able to build his network very strategically by having a podcast, and you know a lot of well-known people probably wouldn't make time, they're just not able to, uh, to have coffee with a total stranger and, you know, oh, let me pick your brain. But if, if the request is different, if it's can I interview you and share it with thousands of people, the answer is often yes. And so through that, he was able to build a great network. But the, the key part, the connector part, is that you don't stop there. You don't say, oh, okay, I met this person once. Great, now I know them. Because the truth is, if you don't keep up the relationship, people are going to forget. It's going to fade. Uh, it'll become less relevant in, in a you know, few weeks or a few months. What you need to do is start thinking about how you can bring people together in valuable ways. And in fact, just this morning, I had a breakfast, um, which I attended. And, you know, I often convene things like this myself, but so I was pleasantly surprised to be invited to one. Uh, There's a guy who is a uh, psychologist and an author, and he, he did a small breakfast for 12 people uh, at a restaurant in Manhattan. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm grateful to him for convening it. Um, but, you know, as a result of this, I was able to sit next to really interesting people. I sat next to a magazine editor. Um, I met a guy who is a New York Times bestselling author. Um, I, you know, met a person who's a social media consultant that I, I want to refer to some friends. So I'm, I'm grateful to him. Uh, for for doing it, uh, and he essentially gets the credit for bringing me into the orbit of all these other interesting people. So connecting really can be a win win if you do it right. Yeah, and it is it. There is an art to it, and there is a way that 
um, as you talked about, an importance in trying to continue to make the connection. We talked about this last time as breadth versus depth. I think the internet has been an amazing tool for lots of breadth. Um, the, the challenge is sometimes it hasn't been the biggest um, opportunity for us to keep the depth and to keep those meaningful like breakfasts that you were just talking about and one-on-one meetings where you can create that depth. And in so talking, you, you have a chapter in here on thought leadership and, and uh, you have a lot of great reflective questions at the end of these chapters. So for most of my listeners, this is an important element of what um, Dory has integrated into Standout is these reflective questions. Plus, again, I'm going to mention this because I just downloaded it is the 42 questions questionnaire that she's created for free to download, which we'll put a link to. But how important is it for us to have systems in place to kind of, as you do in this last, recharge our batteries and get rid of the noise that the world creates around us? Because, you know, I've taught a course called Never Mind the Noise for some time, which includes, you know, looking at meditation and looking at various areas in our life. But as you said, this gets to be a very revved up world. It gets the energies that we get involved in. And sometimes we lose focus in all that. Um, speak with us from personal experience about how important it is um, to recharge and redo things in our life that will get that focus for us. Yeah, this is a really critical and increasingly overlooked area given the uh, the pace that so many of us are operating under these days. Um, we are just uh, plugged into the max, you know, everybody's cell phone battery probably dies by noon. And, uh, and the result of that is that we are not able to really have the space for reflection that enables us to be at our creative peaks. Um, David Allen, in fact, uh, one of the interesting points that he told me when I interviewed him, uh, he said, I think with, uh, you know, very uh, intelligently, um, he observed, you don't need time for a great idea. A great idea can come to you in 30 seconds. But the problem is you need space for mm-hmm. a great idea. Mm-hmm. And that is the thing that, that so many of us are lacking is that kind of white space, that unstructured time where, um, you know, even, even if you have um, technically an hour free or even a day free on your calendar, if you're spending it worried the whole time about messages you haven't returned or projects and loose ties and things like that, your brain is going to be occupied with that, not making the kinds of connections and, and creative leaps that you need to in order to really be effective and innovative. Um, some of the, the most interesting research on this actually comes from a, a Dutch researcher named Op Dijksterhuis, mm-hmm. and uh, he talked about this question. You know, it, it's sort of a, a, a folk tale that you hear, but, but so many people find it to be true, um, which is that you are more creative in the shower. And the reason it turns out that that's the case is that when you are doing a rote activity like showering, or, you know, for, for, for some people it might be driving, you know, not in sort of a stressful rush hour situation, but if it's a little bit more uh, evenly paced, you know, maybe you're taking a walk, something like that. The reason that your brain is able to be more creative is that you are essentially half distracted. And, you know, you're doing this kind of rote mechanical task that takes a little bit of attention, but not that much attention. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, um, that that's the, the, the perfect uh, brain space to begin thinking because you, um, you're, you're 
you're just unfocused enough that your mind is wandering, um, but uh, it's, it has the freedom to be able to wander in more positive directions. Yeah, and it's so important. And I think, you know, I've interviewed Stephen Kotler, you know, the book on abundance and the rise of Superman and staying in flow. And, you know, it's that's the space in time when we actually lose track of time, right? And I think we're in such a time-bound society that time becomes so much of a of a focus for people that they can't get to that meditative state or that's very difficult when they do try and meditate. And it's so important to just almost take what I call that free fall, right? And that's what's required is the free fall from the energy that binds you to time. And there is something out there that's uh, quite attractive and uh, allures people into that. You know, your book is fascinating. I'm going to encourage all my listeners to go up the website. Also, Dory has this 42-page questionnaire, which I think is fascinating. It gives you this opportunity to reflect. I would encourage my listeners to get this book. We'll have links to it on Amazon. Um, we'll have links to this questionnaire that Dory's offering, or I should say this reflective document that she's created around the book. Dory, is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners in closing, um, you know, parting comments at this point? Yeah, thank you, Greg. I appreciate it. I mean, I think the, the, parting, uh, the parting thought that I have um, is that if people can find small ways to, uh, to make more room in their life for, for creativity, whether it's something as, as small as just finding, uh, finding time you know, to turn off your cell phone during dinner or, or what have you, uh, you know, take a quick walk after lunch, those are the places where you can really begin to get the, the kind of long-term vision. You, you can allow your mind to, uh, to begin to see what's possible. Because when it comes to developing a breakthrough idea and, uh, and actually getting known and recognized for it, it doesn't take a big you know, genius. I mean, this is something that, that anyone can do. But you, as David Allen said, you have to have the space and you have to make the space. That is not going to happen on its own. It's about taking control of your calendar and saying, you know what, this half hour is mine. Well, Dory, thanks again for being on. You've given some great advice to our listeners and to me again. It's been a pleasure having you back on Inside Personal Growth. You're always a welcome guest. And again, for my listeners, this is Dory Clark. We've been speaking with the book. is called Stand Out, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. Thanks, Dory. Greg, thank you so much. Hello.